Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon, church. <laughs> I'll give you a moment here. We're reading today from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. I'm reading from the ESV translation. I'll give you a second to get your Bibles, your iPad, iPhone. This morning we'll be reading about love. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my bodies to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we bless you and thank you for what we have already tasted and seen this morning. It has been good. It has been Wonderful to sing together and to praise together and to pray together, to greet one another, to, to see and hear the testimony of families and little children being raised in the things of Christ. It's been a privilege to be a part of this. And it is now a privilege to open your word. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, I pray very specifically that you will both for the one who speaks and those who hear, you will give us a supernatural strength and energy to, to make it through the heat, to, to endure it and to not be distracted by it, O oh Lord, in any way. Father, carry us, carry us by your Spirit and teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You will want your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and as you do, I, 
I was thinking this week of a pastor friend of mine who shared this story with me recently. He talked about a woman in his church named, we'll call her Sarah. Sarah had begun to notice how many Muslim women there were who shopped at her grocery store. And the Lord laid it on Sarah's heart to reach out to these women, one woman at a time. And her first attempt went something like this. She approached the woman all dressed in the garb of her faith. And Sarah said to her, excuse me, but may I ask you a question? And the woman, somewhat hesitatingly, but she nodded and allowed Sarah to proceed. And Sarah asked her, do you feel welcome here? Or do you feel nervous? The, the woman said she does not feel welcome. And yes, she always feels nervous. Sarah responded with these words. I want to welcome you. And I want to let you know that you do not have to fear me. The woman's guard and fear broke down and the conversation started that led from one thing to another and eventually landed on family and family circumstances. And the Muslim woman talked about the struggles that her son was having with math. And Sarah, by God's providence, happened to be a math te a tutor. So she offered to help this family with the tutoring of their little boy. And by last report, this Muslim woman and her husband were going to be meeting Sarah in her home to talk about the possibility of her helping their son. There is something about that story that affects me deeply. There, there is something about that that strikes me as love. It is a kind of love and a quality of love that described that marked the earliest Christians in the history of the church. Back in the 100s, there was a letter written to a man, Diognetus, and this letter read like this. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak or a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life, and yet... There is something extraordinary about their lives. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but even then they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. 
They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. The world hates the Christians, though they have not done it any wrong. And yet Christians love those who hate them and flourish under persecution. The earliest Christian believers, the earliest Christian church, loved like Sarah is loving. A love that goes in all directions, no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk. There is something profoundly beautiful about this, but something sadly lacking and rare about this. To be honest, today's Christians seem more marked by rage and fear and the demanding of their rights and self-protection and racial innuendo and slander, the protecting of a free and a prosperous way of life. Today's Christians seem much more concerned about those things than they are about love. It was said about the earliest Christians that they were known to be Christians by what? By their love. By their love. I wonder... Would that and could that be said of us today? Is that how the world would describe us today? Those are the ones, that is the church, where they love one another and not just one another, they love all peoples. No matter how wronged or wrong we are, no matter whether we are victim or victimizer, no matter whether it costs us little or costs us everything, no matter whether those we are called to love us, love us in return or not. My friends, in this hour, in this hour of family crisis, in this hour of cultural crisis, in this hour of racial crisis, in this hour of international crisis, in this hour of moral and spiritual crisis, we Christians need to be different. We cannot reflect the world if in fact we're going to affect the world. Our ways, our words, our attitudes, our character, and above everything else, the, the quality and the purity and the impartiality and the bounty of our love need to surpass anything and everything the world has ever seen. We must love. We must love no matter what. Here's my goal this morning. Based on 1 Corinthians 13, my goal is this. To lift our eyes to heaven a world of love, borrowing that phrase from Jonathan Edwards, the theologian. My goal to lift our eyes to heaven, a world of love, so that he who dwells there, he who dwells in heaven, he who dwells there and awaits us with his love, will be our inspiration for life and our desire for eternity. Let me, let me repeat that. I hope, I pray, I long that we will have our eyes lifted to heaven, a world of love, so that he, God, 
in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who dwells there and awaits us with his love will be our inspiration for life and will be our desire for eternity. Let's, let's think about this. You, you may or may not realize it, but everyone in this room, every single one of us in this room, is part, is playing a role in a great human tragedy. I don't know if you were aware of this, but when everything began, it was very different than it is now. When everything began, it was a paradise of love. Eden was a place where God and man and woman dwelled dwelt together in mutual affection and love. It is not that way anymore, in case you haven't noticed. Things that are now are not what once was. There was a day in which paradise was our home. There was a day in which perfect love was experienced by every being in the universe. But then, if you know the story in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They decided that they were not going to do it God's way of love and would do it their own way of autonomy and self-rule. And the consequences of that have been catastrophic ever since. Every single fight, every single conflict, every single war, every single racial barrier that exists in the world exists because way back when, in the garden, when Adam and Eve had it all, they chose to reject it, and we've been rejecting it ever since. You cannot reject God without losing everything. You cannot reject the truth of God without catastrophe following. And we're all part of this tragedy. It keeps playing out, and it explains why a few years ago, Galen and I were driving down the road, and we came up on a car, and there was a... Um, personalized license plate on that car with just one word on it, the word divorce. I remember thinking, what, what kind of sorrow, what kind of grief, what kind of pain, what kind of anger, what kind of warfare has this person experienced to celebrate the death of a marriage? There was a time a few years ago when a New Jersey couple had their children taken away from them because they named one of their children Adolf Hitler Campbell. And you think, what kind of hatred, what kind of poison so, so infects a heart that it would do such a thing? This explains why there's such heartache in Nice, France, this week. This, this explains Louisiana and Minnesota and Dallas. This explains a nation like ours so radically divided where people just don't understand each other, don't get each other, and for the most part don't even want to take the time or the bother to try. How did we get here? Now, we got here because a long, long time ago a world of love was rejected, and a world of animosity and hatred took its place. 
And we're playing it out even now. The Bible's record of, of paradise lost explains something about each and every one of us as human beings. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but it's true of everybody. We all long for a better world, don't we? Every single one of us longs for it. We crave it. We desire it. We cry for it. And in some measure, I think probably every one of us in his or her own way tries to aim for a better world. But why do we aim for a better world? Why do we believe that it can be better? Why do we believe in love? I want to suggest to you that it's not because, as some people say, that we're just delusional and we are emotionally frail and weak and we need some kind of imaginary crutch to kind of prop us up through a broken world so that somehow or other we can make believe and, and still have hope. No, I, I don't think that. I don't believe. We all long for a world of love because it's a, some kind of fantasy of our weak minds who are trying to escape from reality. I believe the reason we long for a world of love is because it's a dim echo from the distant past and a real reality. I believe that the idea of a world of love is not a fantasy, it is a memory. It is a memory. And those who long for heaven, those who long for a world of love, are not escapists who are pining for an unreal world that will never be. They are realists who are longing for the original world that once was and will be once again. We long for it. And if you're here this morning and have just dismissed the Christian faith as some kind of, of crutch for the weak, I'm here to tell you, no. The Christian faith is for those who are ready to answer the longing of their hearts. That longing for love, that longing to be loved, loved and to love, and to be loved and love forever. The Christian faith is for you. The Christian faith is about the measures and the costs and the sacrifice that God has gone to to rescue us from our world of hatred, to rescue us from our world of sin, to rescue us from ourselves and the hell we deserve so that we can be, we can be together with one another, with Him in heaven forever. The Christian faith is about the amazing love of God in Jesus Christ who came to rescue us. It, it, is, it is about the day that's coming when we live forever and ever in a world of love. In a world of love. I mean, let me tell you a few things about this world of love. I'm going to just break them down into, into three quick headings. How long... Heavenly love will last. That's the first point. In what directions heavenly love will flow. And then third, by what means heavenly love will be perfected in us. So first of all, how long will heavenly love last? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, you have heard it, read, you have seen it with your own eyes already. But look at verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. 
It never ends. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. It will not cease or vanish away. Paul says in the middle verses there, like the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, those things are going to have their, serve their purpose. They will come to an end. But love will go on and on and on and on. It, be, it endures beyond when the perfect comes that he talks about in verse 12. Or, or where is it? Verse, I lost my place here. When I was a child, verse 11, I spoke like a child, I felt like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. In that day, when we see Jesus face to face, when the perfect comes, when everything is complete, love will go on. Everything else will cease as we know it, but love will continue. Say, how do, we, how do we know that? How do we know that love is eternal? We know love is eternal because God is eternal and God is love and heaven is God's home. God is eternal and God is love and heaven is where God is. So heavenly love will go on forever because God goes on forever. God who is infinite, inexhaustible love goes on forever. The being and light and glory and beauty and love of God himself, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be the light and the glory and the beauty of heaven itself. Love will last as long as God lasts. I want to give you a little bit of Jonathan Edwards this morning. How many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards? How many of you read some of his stuff in American literature in high school? Remember Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Remember that sermon? Probably the most famous sermon other than the Sermon on the Mount that's ever been preached. Uh, it's, it's a kind of fire and brimstone type of sermon. What I'm about to read you is very different than that. Listen, listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards, he writes, Heaven is a world of love. For God is the fountain of love, as the sun is the fountain of light. And therefore the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love. As the sun placed in the midst of the visible heavens in a clear day fills the world with light. The apostle tells us that God is love and since he is an infinite being, it follows that he is an infinite fountain of love. Since he is an all-sufficient being, it follows that he is a full and overflowing and inexhaustible fountain of love. And since he is an unchangeable and eternal being, he is an unchangeable and eternal fountain of love. Love. I just want us to hear this. Love will be the eternal, endless enjoyment of everyone in heaven. My friends, this answers one of the deepest cries of every human being. 
Ever wonder why all the fairy tales end in live happily ever after? Well, because we want them to end that way. And we want our love, our experience of love, to be happily ever after. We want the experience, we long for the experience of undying love, endless love. We're saying, well, that's just a dream, Tim. That's just a fantasy. That's a fairy tale. I, I said, no. Don't dismiss it that quickly. Don't dismiss it that quickly. I think that's a cop-out. It's, it's something the world's been selling for a long time. It just, it, it, it doesn't work. Friends, that longing for deep, unending love is so deep inside of us. It is so strong inside of us that it just won't go away no matter how much love fails. I, I heard a while back about a couple who had been married for 72 years and they died within one hour of each other holding each other's hand. And we say, wow, that's pretty cool. And it is. But I'll tell you what, their love was still till death do us part. And at the end of the day, their experience of love, at the end of the day, was not much different from the person driving the car with the word divorce on the license plate. Because in this life, it always ends, doesn't it? It always ends. And yet, we long for it to never end. I suggest to you that the depth of that longing and the strength of that longing signals to us that this longing is not a fantasy, it's a reality. There is a world where love goes on forever and ever. And if, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, if you are longing, longing for something that this world does not satisfy, it may well be because you were made for another world. You were made for that world, where love goes on forever and ever. How long does heavenly love last forever? What directions does heavenly love flow? Well, in the text, we see, I think, three directions, and I'll do these quickly. The first is perfect love, heavenly love, will flow from God to us. It will flow from God to us. Look at verse 12, where we see that we actually are experiencing this already. Paul says at the end of verse 12, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You say, where's love there? Well, love is in the word know or known there. In the Bible, very often when it speaks of God knowing his people, it is not just talking about some kind of abstract knowledge. It's the knowledge of love. It's the knowledge of affection. It's the knowledge of, of intimacy. It's the knowledge of relationship. And Paul says here, we have been fully known. He's talking about God's love for us here. His knowledge of us. God fully 
completely, perfectly loves His children. God loves us. Now the problem with us is that in this world, this side of heaven, our knowledge of His love is imperfect. His love is perfect. His love is flawless. His love is faithful. His love is deep. But in the words of Ephesians, we don't know the length or the height or the depth of that love. His love is fathomless. His, his love is boundless. His love is endless. His love has no fullness of height or depth or width to it. It just goes and goes and goes in all directions in perfect love. Now in heaven, we will know that love. In heaven, we will know just how much God loves us. I don't know if you've ever had a child who's been very sick. I was talking with Jared Miller the other day. Jared and Megan, the, Jared's the senior pastor of Covenant Fellowship, our sending church, a dear friend of many of us. Jared and Melanie's little daughter, Agatha's two years old, right? Just recently diagnosed with cancer. Now begun a long ordeal, long ordeal of chemotherapy, prayer, and pleading for God's mercy and God's healing. And as Jared and I spoke and we spent some time um, with me sharing my own experience with a child with cancer, a son with cancer, and I, re I said to him, I, re I remember as we watched over Joel and his battle for his life, I remember the feeling of how much I loved my son. I would have done anything for him. I would have given my life for him, in a heartbeat, given my life for him. How much I loved him, how much I felt for him, how much I, my heart broke for him, how much I cared. Sometimes, if you're a parent, you know this, sometimes you feel the depths of your love for your children most when you see them suffer. And your heart just aches. You realize how much you love them. And, and Jared and I just shared in that moment we, we realize how much we love our kids. Now God infinitely more loves us. He looks on us with affection. He looks on us with grace. He looks on us with pity and compassion. He looks on us with care. Everywhere we are, everyone who is in this room, every circumstance of our life, God loves. God loves. The perfect love. In heaven, we will know that perfectly. God's love will flow perfectly to us. But then, secondly, our love will flow perfectly to Him. So what does Paul say? I will know fully, even as I am fully known. When the perfect comes, when we see Jesus in that moment, our hearts will be transformed, our faith will be transformed, everything will be changed, so that we will love Jesus fully. We will love our God perfectly and completely. Child of God, Christian here this afternoon. Do you not long for the day when you love the, for the first time ever, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Every Christian grieves daily 
that they don't love God more. Over the day, when there is no sin in my love, when there's no self in my love, when there's no flaw or weakness or imperfection in my love, where I look on the face of Christ and I know Him fully, even as I am fully known, where I love Him with all my being, when I'm joining the sinner woman who wept at His feet and broke the, the jar of perfume and just wept for love and affection. She loved Him much. Why? Because she had been forgiven much. All for the day when I know how much I've been forgiven, how much God loves me, and then I just pour it back to Him. I pour it back to Him. We sing like we did earlier today. We worship, we pray. I don't know about you, but I bet you just about every week as I'm worshiping God, there's a one moment or another where I say, Oh, Lord, that I could worship you perfectly. Oh, that my love would be pure. The day's coming in the world of love, where not only will we experience God's love perfectly flowing in our direction, but we will experience our love flowing perfectly in God's direction. And then third, love will flow in each other's direction. For the, for the first time since Eden, human beings will love each other perfectly. This is the whole point here, really, of the text. Paul says, beginning back in verse 4, love is patient, it is kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Paul's describing love here, and then he's saying in heaven, when we see Christ, this love is going to abide. This is how we're going to treat each other. This is how we're going to treat each other, with a perfect experience of love. Where there is prejudice and partiality now, then on that day will be perfect understanding and honor and respect and equality and grace. Where, where there is meanness and malice now, on that day, there will be nothing but kindness. Where there is impatience and, and acquitting on our relationships now, on that day, there will be unendingly long fuses. We will never lose it with each other. And we will never fail in our love for each other. And where there is now envy over what others have or possess, there will be on that day joy in what others have and possess. Do you, do you realize that even in heaven there's going to be different positions and roles and responsibilities and honors? See, the problem here on this planet is that when somebody else has an honor higher than me, what do I do? I envy it. That happens to me all the time. I see some preacher who's more famous than I am, you know, or whatever. You know. or I, see, I see guys that actually get their books published, like Andy, you know, and but, you know, there's, there's this, this, this temptation to envy. To, to cover. And what's going to be like in heaven? We're going to see people 
who are elevated and honored above us. And their joy is going to become our joy. We're going to be so perfect on that day. There won't be a whisper of envy. We will be applauding the loudest and the longest for those above us. Where there is now envy over power and possessions and privilege, on that day there will be joy. Where there is now boasting and arrogance over power and privilege and possessions, on that day there will be nothing but humility and a deep recognition that everything I have and everything I am is by the undeserved kindness and mercy of God alone. Where love, where we now despair and tend to quit or think the worst, on that day, love will believe all things and hope all things and endure all things. Where there is rudeness now and name calling and all the rest on that day, there will be nothing but wearying, uh, uh, there will be nothing but beauty and gentleness and thoughtfulness and, and care. A perfect love from us to each other. Oh, I long for that day. I long for that day. Do you? It's real. You say to me, well, how do you know it's real? I'll tell you why I know it's real. Because about 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. God came to our rescue. He looked down on us in our sin and our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance and our bigotry and all the junk of our life. And he realized where it was taking us, not to a world of love, but to a world of wrath. And in his love and in his pity, he had mercy on us. And God the Son became human and he lived among us. And he lived a perfect life. And then he died as a sacrifice for our sin. He, he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. He said, all the wrath, all the judgment, all the fury that, my, that the sins of my people deserve. Jesus said, I will take them on myself. I will bear them. I'm going to rescue my people from a world of wrath that they might enter a world of love. But it costs him. Here we know love, John says, in that he gave his life a ransom for them. Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died for us. He took our place. If you're here this morning and you say, how do I know God loves me? Think about Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did. And realize he died not as a helpless martyr. He died not as a helpless victim. He died not because some wicked people got their hands on him. He died by his own choice, by his own will for his own love for you. He came to die for our sins. Because he loved us and wants us to enjoy a world of love with him. And so, how long will heavenly love last? As long as God lasts forever. What directions will heavenly love flow? From God to us, from us to God and from us to each other. One last real quick point. How will this 
heavenly love be perfected in us. As we look in the mirror and say, well, that's not us now. How do we get that way? The text says that the day is coming when we are going to see Christ face to face. The Bible teaches this amazing truth that we become what we behold. What we gaze at transforms us. So in 2 Corinthians, we learn that as we gaze at the glory of Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. You know what's going to happen when we see Jesus, the, the source and the fountainhead of all love? You know what's going to happen when we gaze in his face and we see the scars of the thorns on his brow and the thorns or the scars on his hands and on his feet? You know what's going to happen when we look in his eyes and we see the perfection of love in that moment? That love is going to change us. It's going to transform us. All the hatred, all the sin, all the junk, all the bigotry, everything is just going to wash off over us or off of us. And we will be like him, John says, for we shall see him as he is. That's the Christian hope. We know heavenly love is going to be experienced. God to us, us to God, us to each other. Because on that day, we're going to see the prince of love. We're going to see the fountainhead of all love. We're going to see he who is love itself. And in the seeing, we will be changed. And in the seeing, we will be perfected. And we will never hate again. We will never Again. We will never distrust again or scorn again or mock again or prejudge again or reject again. Oh, for the world of love. So, are you going there? Are you going there? How can you know that you have eternal life in the eternal world of love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise of God. He cannot lie. The author and fountain of all love says to you, believe in Jesus. Repent. Turn from your life of sins itself. Trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He who loved you and gave himself for you. And you will live forever in the world of love. If you came in here unsure of your relationship with God, please don't leave here unsure. Please make sure to talk with us because we want to help you to enter into the love of God today. And if you already love Christ and friends, keep looking at Christ on the cross. Keep contemplating the cross because it will transform you to love each other more and more right now. Because while we are waiting for heavenly love to start, we can practice it and live it and do it here and now. And we all know 
the world needs. So let us love our neighbor as we love ourselves and as we love our brother. Amen. Amen.